Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hi, Ashley. Hello, Candy. I have an interesting question for you today. Oh, let's have it. Well, I think you've mentioned this before, that you've actually put out a couple of independent films. Yes. And you've also mentioned before that this is not something that you went to school for. Correct. That you're you're very much self-taught. Correct. Or that you had to learn in other ways. Yes. So my question for you is, can you give us an example or two of how you learned to do something like that? That's a big project. Mm, Well, I think a lot of it was trial and error. So you try something, it doesn't work. You try it a different way. How does it work? Some Googling, Mm -hmm. some YouTube. Because you can find almost anything nowadays. You can. And a lot of podcasts, listening Mm. to podcasts, learning that way. Or also sometimes what not to do. You know, you watch a film Mm -hmm. and you go, oh, that's that's not how I would do that. Or you're kind of analyzing and and reflecting on... A what lot of it was what you might do differently. Yeah. yeah. So for my acting, I kind of self-taught how to act. And I did that by watching classic Hollywood actors. Analyzing. That's it. You, you said it. It's I'm constantly analyzing and picking apart and watching something. Very rarely do I watch something just for pure enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Maybe cartoons because I can't do cartoons. But if it was, or, you know, Pixar or something like that. But if it is a human actor person, I'll be thinking about, could I do this? How would I do this? How did they do this? And I'll look at the trivia or I'll research behind the scenes and just do a lot of reading. I don't know. No, it's probably all the hard way. <laughs> I maybe could have learned it a lot faster and easier if I'd actually gone to school for it, but I tend to like to do things the, the hardest way possible. Well, with our theme for August being back to school, right? Mm-hmm. Everything this month will somehow relate to that idea of school. In these past however many episodes, we have spent a lot of time talking about the talents and accomplishments of a lot of different entertainers. But it occurred to me, especially thinking about some of the comments that you've made or Jack Ewens comes to mind. Remember our interview with Jack, who works for the Jurassic World franchise. He does website development and marketing for them. And I loved it when we were complimenting him on his technical know-how. And we asked him how he'd gotten where he was. (laughs) He said, I'd like to thank my teacher, but it was me. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because he acknowledged that part of it is the connections, right? Your resources and who you get hooked up with makes a difference. But he also said, right, he was self-taught. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool for this one episode in August? What if we centered it around how, you know, the how, the behind the scenes of how the different- The of the thing. Yes, how mm. different entertainers learned their craft, mm-hmm. what influenced them, mm-hmm. or, or maybe they had actual instruction. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to look at a few pieces of that, and I think it's going to be really interesting. Well, I have a question for you at the top of the show. Mm, okay. uh-huh. Where did you learn to act? Did you self-teach? Because you didn't go to school for it either, I know. 
actually in college, I was an English and the Allied Language Arts major. Mm -hmm. And so I did take a few acting classes Mm -hmm. in college. Okay. So I got a few courses there. A lot of it was observation and analysis Mm -hmm. like you. Like Mm -hmm. I cannot turn it off. Mm -hmm. If I watch, even in an audition situation, Mm -hmm. if I watch an actor perform, I am noticing the choices choices. they make constantly. I have learned so much from other people. Just watching real life people, as you said, people on film. That's my number one, I think. But I've actually gotten to take a few courses. One course was, there was a voiceover teacher. I would still, if anybody out there needs somebody to work on voiceovers. And you guys have been listening (laughs) to Candy's voice for almost a year now. You know, it's amazing. Please hire her. That's your plug for me. I I think that's so fun. I would love to do voiceover work. And and I I got to do one thing. I got to be the voice of Girl Scout cookie sales training videos. Hey, cool. I know it was. But I did one course where I learned about that. And then many years ago, I took a course with Zan Sawyer Daily at Actors Theater. And then more recently, I've actually gotten to take several classes that Mm -hmm. were offered at a local theater Mm -hmm. that were focused on being able to perform monologues by, depending on which course you took, Shakespeare or classic playwrights like Ibsen, Chekhov, Strindberg, or another course was focused on contemporary authors. And so I'm actually going to come back to that one later. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, so moving on then, the first thing we're going to talk about would be influences and mentors. So Ashley, another question for you. You are full of questions I am full of questions. I'm full of answers. (laughs) Can you think of any specific advice that you've been given or that you've read, something that really inspired you and you think helped to grow you in your craft? Well, advice, it wasn't given to me specifically, but I really admire Steven Spielberg as a filmmaker. And I think... We talked about this during Jaws and Jurassic anyway, our series on Jaws and Jurassic. But Steven Spielberg, to me, was someone who was doing what I wanted to do, but never had the resources to Mm do. And he really admired Alfred Hitchcock, who also did things that I Mm -hmm. wanted to do and didn't have the resources. And what both of them tended to emphasize was... Not necessarily the thing, but the want of the thing. I can't even remember. We may have actually used this illustration in one of those episodes. But if you and I, as we are, sitting here across from each other talking at this table, and the audience, if this is being filmed and the audience is watching us, it's a pretty interesting conversation. And then imagine all of a sudden an explosion goes off. Mm -hmm. There's that surprise that the explosion went off. But if, as you and I are chatting, the cameraman shows something underneath us that's a clock that's ticking down, now this monotonous conversation or this kind of boring conversation we might be having has been heightened immediately Mm -hmm. because who cares what we're saying? We're about to get in the midst of an explosion, which just added suspense. Right. So I I liked that. I liked the way Spielberg always looks for the the personality in his characters, at least early Spielberg did. I haven't seen a lot of his later stuff, but he tried to find the heart in everything. Mm -hmm. And I try to find when I'm directing a show or when I'm writing something, I try to write from the heart and try to write from honesty. I think I actually have a quote in my office. So I also listen to this podcast, Helping Writers Become Authors. And the lady who puts it on is named K.M. Wyland. And she had this quote in one of her episodes Mm -hmm. and I ended up writing it on one of my placards. And it says, The only stories that matter, the only ones that are ever remembered are those that are honest. So I try to remember when I'm writing something, what's the honesty of this? How can I say this in the most honest way? And sometimes it... (laughs) 
kind of irritate. I'm kind of all over the place with this, but sometimes it irritates me when people call actors liars mm. because I think the truly good actors are actually being very, very honest. Right. They are working with the director to create a performance or a character that is the most authentic it can be. And if it was just a liar, that's a sociopath. That's on their own accord. They're directing themselves. But for the profession of acting, I feel like it is a profession that tells the truth, which is why you resonate with some mm -hmm. of the characters so well. I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, no, that was That's good. just some thoughts. Yeah. I ask because when I thought about this episode topic. Mm -hmm. What immediately came to mind mm -hmm. was an interview with BJ Novak from The Office. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was on The Office Ladies. Mm -hmm. It was the episode that they did on Scott's Tots. Oh, and so <laughs> the they they talked about that it the was cringiest. the cringiest. The audience members think it is the absolute cringiest, yes. and I agree. I can I can't watch it. I like can't I either. can't do it. No. Well, B.J. Novak directed that, mm -hmm. and it was actually his very first time directing. He's very accomplished now. Yeah, I mean, we think of this man as being very versatile and just doing it all, but this was his first time directing, and so he is sharing on the podcast the advice that he was given that made such a difference to him. And by the way, just in case you're not a huge The Office fan, BJ Novak played the character of Ryan Howard. And according to Dunderpedia, he was a stand-up comedian and he did an opening joke at a comedy club when executive producer Greg Daniels happened to be listening and he immediately decided he wanted BJ to be in his upcoming show. Man! And so BJ was cast in that role of Ryan Howard as, and he was the very first cast member. Wow. I know. Talk about a discovery. I thought that was interesting. Back to what we were saying. In this episode with the office ladies, BJ actually shared three or four different pieces of advice mm -hmm. that he was given because he said that's one of the things that he did. He said he found out he was going to get to direct. He was super excited. He acknowledged that his job was not as hard as other people because he said he was being asked to direct a long running TV show. He said everybody already knew their job. These right. actors knew their characters inside right. and out. He said they could have done it without him. Yeah. He was very humble. Yeah. But he still said, you should ask people advice. I love that he acknowledged the expertise that is out there all around you. Mm -hmm. You can learn so much mm -hmm. if you just ask. Yeah you know, or observe, as we've said. So he shared like three or four. Here are two that struck me. First person that he mentioned was the advice he got from Randall Einhorn. Randall was a longtime director of photography and later one of the most prolific directors on The Office. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to pull some quotes directly from this episode on The Office Ladies. So here's what BJ said. I said, do you have advice? Randall said, yes, direct to the cameras like they're actors. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'd never tell an actor, shout this line and cut it off after three seconds, right? Mm -hmm. You tell them why. So you never tell the camera, swing to the left on this line and punch in on that. You would say, this is where we catch Pam and her lie. Mm. So I would creep up to her and find that moment and don't let her out. You know what I mean? It inspires so much more creativity. It's so much more respectful and you're more likely to get what you're looking for. Interesting. I know. And so he went on to explain that he now uses that approach to direct everyone like they're actors. Like he says now, instead of just telling somebody in the costume department, you know, put this guy in a suit, he says, if you tell that costumer, okay, this is 
a character who's really insecure and he takes himself really seriously and he wants the world to think he's important. So ah. I, I think I think suits would really work. But now that customer is invested in it mm-hmm. and brings their own, you know, special expertise. Right. Yeah. And so he he went on to say this has changed him as a director. He treats everyone as though they're actors. He, I like that. I liked it a lot. I like that advice. Yeah. He said he thinks that's the best advice he got on that show. But he went on to give one other piece of advice. And the second piece was someone told him the best thing you can do as a director is to watch the movie in your head as much as as you can. This person told him when you're in doubt, just take a walk and watch the movie in your head again and again and again. And then when you're in a production meeting and someone says, what does the room look like? You just say what you see Mm. and they figure it out. He goes on to explain, it's not like you have to know every single detail, but I think what he's getting to is if you have the vision, Mm -hmm. if you know the end in mind, Mm -hmm. if you know what it is you're going for and you can visualize it very clearly mm-hmm. then it all comes naturally like you're able to answer you're able to see what you want instead of just making it all these little isolated yeah. you know know your material mm-hmm. and this is something that you've said a lot he ended that quote with it will have the same effect as if you studied everything in school because the point is to know the heart. Oh, yeah. 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 So watch the movie in your head. You've got to know, like, what's your point? Mm-hmm. What's the heart? What are you really trying to convey to your audience? What do you want to communicate? Right. Right. And sometimes and I it. think sometimes I think to myself, what is a message I'm trying to convey? And now what is a way that I can tell them without hitting them over the head with it? Mm-hmm. You know, what's a sideways way I can get my message across? Right. So I liked that example because I thought BJ's, you know, comments about the advice and how it's changed him as a director showed one way that people learn, right? You model, you observe, you ask, you know, advice and expertise from the people around you. But then, of course, the second way is to get that instruction, to look for the teachers or the classes or the courses and to see what they can do for you. And you mentioned you have taken maybe some Google courses or things well, like that. Well, Google is in, I t- typed in the search word. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up on Google. Yes. Well, when we think about actors who have made it to Broadway or film, many of them have studied at schools like Juilliard, Yale, NYU. And then this has come up before. We also have situations where people go to teachers like Lee Strasberg, mm-hmm. who literally, method. yep, he literally developed his own new method to acting and then founded an institute to help teach it. Or well, he was part of that institute that taught it. And this came up when we did our episode on Marilyn Monroe. So if you'll remember, Marilyn Monroe was one of his students. Mm-hmm. She was highly complimentary. In fact, it was almost like their relationship was was incredibly close. But I, not inappropriate. Not close. inappropriate. No, no, no. Like, but she left things to him when she passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was the man who, from 1948 until his death, was artistic director of the Actors Studio. And his method, his approach to teaching, the method, was an adaptation of the Stanislavski system of dramatic training. Now, to illustrate just how much Marilyn Monroe revered him, I found this little YouTube clip. It's from the Marilyn Monroe Video Archives. And it's a short clip anyway, but I'm only going to play about less than two minutes of it. Mm -hmm. But what we're going to hear is a short time where she speaks about her teacher, Lee Strasberg, and then you're going to hear him briefly make a comment about her. Well, I always had a secret um, feeling that I'm really a fake or something, or phony, you know how people feel about themselves. 
they have something secret they feel about themselves. I always feel that. I know my teacher says, why do you feel that about yourself? And then you start to say, but you're a human being. I said, yes, I am. I said, but I feel like I have to be more. He says, no. He says, you start with yourself, Lee Strasberg. I think probably he changed my life more than any other human being that I've met, including um, everyone. Uh, because when I started to work with him, I would sort of assume something. He says, what are you doing? I said, well, I have to get into the part. He says, no, but you're a human being, so you start with yourself. I said, but with me? It's well, easy for me to talk about mine. Uh, uh... Uh, but uh, it isn't my friendship with her or my knowing her which makes me say that she was next to Marlon. Uh, the greatest, uh, she had the greatest sensitivity of any actor or actress that I've seen. And the, and the thing that I'm really sorry about, things happen and you can't stop the things that happen. But the thing that I'm really sorry about is that the public never had the opportunity to see what we saw, not just what I thought, but what we saw when she appeared in, in the scene from... Uh, Streetcar and the scene from Anna Christie for us and so on. It is a great loss that the audience never had the opportunity to see that. So I know that was a little hard to hear, but she speaks briefly about his approach that he taught her. And she also makes the comment, did you hear that? He changed her life more than any human being she ever met. And she started to say, including, and then she she went on. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. So it was a big deal for her. Yeah. And a side note, this is why I advocate for filming performances, because if he had filmed her performance, we could see, Mm, you know, that would have been something that she could have left behind is, is acting that she wanted to do. Cause I know she wanted to be in these dramatic works. Mm. Mm-hmm. And she was pigeonholed and people didn't think that she could do it, not realizing that she was such a profound actor that she had already created a part. Right. She just played it too well. Well, that inspired me because I realized I don't know much about the method. Do you? Mm-mm, no. Very little. Other than, you know, the joke of the person lives it. Mm-hmm. The actor who is taking on a role, they will live as that person before they perform because they want to be able to make choices from knowing that role or knowing that lifestyle inside and out. I don't think it's a joke. I think that's no, 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 actually no. really accurate. No, I, <laughs> yeah. but it's been said in a joking manner because I think um, Dustin Hoffman, they did Marathon Man together. Lawrence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman did Marathon Man together together and I think mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman was out running marathons and like living this life and yes. Lawrence Olivier famously said or you know you could just act yes so that's what I mean the joking is like <laughs> nice impression thank you that's my Lawrence Olivier well I think you've nailed it because we're going to come back to that but I think that's honestly kind of the essence of it but when I started to research this I didn't do a huge deep dive but mm-hmm. I, I looked around a bit I found a nice overview on the site for the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute and they did talk there about how they define the method. And first of all, here's what I picked up. It's not just an abstract thing. It literally says this is a systematic approach that an actor can follow to train him or herself to prepare for a role and to bring a character to life. And here's a quote from the website that basically explains, I think, the big idea. The use of Lee Strasberg's exercises both develop the content of the actor's talent and provide a roadmap to the individual's creation of a character. The use of one's own life experiences and the creative imagination infuses each choice with genuine thought, 
desire, sensation, action, and feeling resulting in psychologically in-depth behavior. It builds upon the work of Stanislavski and as Lee believed, accomplished what Stanislavski set out to achieve. The method trains actors to use their physical, mental, and emotional self in the creation of a character and stresses the way in which personal experience can fire the actor's imagination. It eschews cliches and pursues individual authenticity and a reality deeply grounded in the given circumstances of the script. And so this was a different source, also one that talked about the method and it had a much shorter and I think a little more concise definition. It Mm -hmm. said method acting is a technique or type of acting in which an actor aspires to encourage sincere and emotionally expressive performances by fully inhabiting the role of the character. It is an emotional oriented technique instead of a classical acting that is primarily action based. Hmm, Okay. So I think both of them are saying you have to tap into the emotional psychological connection, the human experience versus just acting a script. And I won't go into detail here, but I looked up the key elements of method acting. One element is you have to relieve tension. You have to be a blank slate before you can take on the life of another person. Therefore, before you can your character, you have to first understand where you hold your tension and you have to be able to release it. So there's one whole piece on relieving tension. Then there's a whole piece on focus and deliberateness. So after you've released the tension, you're supposed to absorb the world in new ways. And they gave examples like focusing on specific noises or filtering out other noises. You have to pay close attention to your senses, recreate believable stimuli in your work. And they talked about how vision, touch, and even taste are huge in this. Then they have another piece, another element, which is using your sense memory. This, they said, is the most contentious aspect of the method. And this is where actors are supposed to enter into sense memory and all the senses are tuned. I don't know what happens here, but apparently this is the part that they feel is a little more They uh, go a little wacky on Debated. I don't know. Okay. And then the last element is identification and replication. This is the actor's capacity to recognize and duplicate feelings, generating this authentic response and giving artistic agency to it. So basically, rather than being a puppet, the trained method actor, according to Lee Strasberg, is supposed to actually influence the work's very nature as much as the writer or director. So what the actor brings to that part and to the script is supposed to change it as much as the touch of the director or somebody else who's working on it. Hmm. So it sounds really complicated. complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, it's funny because I ran across on this one website, the Nashville Film Institute site. It had a lot about the method acting approach, but then it also had the subheading that says, is method acting dangerous? Okay. And it started talking about the controversy. Apparently, a lot of people recently, a lot of actors have come out speaking out against method acting. And most of the comments lead me back to what you said before. It seems to me that every time they're talking about dangers or people speaking out against it, they seem to refer to actors staying in character too long too long yeah. or to taking it to the extreme and taking it off the set 100% yeah 
Yes. So I'll share some of this. And I think this, this might make this method acting a little more clear if this is accurate. Okay. So one thing this site pointed out was that James Franco at one point had put an op-ed in the New York Times regarding method acting. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how it could be to blame for some actors' unpredictable behavior. Mm-hmm. They brought up Heath Ledger. Yeah. They think that he might have been one who became so immersed in the his Joker. part that he forgot himself and it had a very negative effect yeah. on him. The joke exactly they made the quote that sometimes these actors can temporarily subordinate their thoughts and feelings to those of their character it's almost like they they've lost themselves themselves. Mm -hmm. one example who was brought up to be an extreme example or or one that they said comes to mind when you think of method acting is daniel day lewis yep yep that was my thought do you no just other than i know he's he just sort of becomes his characters Yes. yes becomes them They said when he was doing the Abraham Lincoln role that he wouldn't let anybody talk to him about present day things. Mm. Like he stayed in character constantly. When he was filming My Left Foot and he played a person with cerebral palsy who could only write or type with the toes of one foot, he would stay in character even when not filming. So just to give an example, members of the team would have to feed him because he would stay true to the physical limitations of the character that he was playing. He he would try to type messages with his toes sometimes or he taught himself how to use his toes to place a record on the turntable like like he stayed in the limitations of that character now to bring out some people who've who've said some things against it just a few days ago variety published an article titled david harbour calls method acting dangerous and silly and then there's a sub subtitle daniel day lewis's process is nonsense to me now do you know who david harbour is sure i do that's sheriff hopper that is hopper on stranger things and so he says in this article this is very recent. Like I said, last week, he said, when I was younger, it's so embarrassing, but I remember playing the famous Scottish king and being like, I'm going to kill a cat or something. I'm going to go murder something to know what it feels like to murder. I didn't actually do it, obviously. Not only is that method acting stuff silly, it's dangerous and it actually doesn't produce good work. And then this was his quote to GQ magazine. And when they said something about Daniel Day-Lewis to Hopper, or to this actor who plays (laughs) Hopper, sorry, he replied, he's an extraordinary actor who I'm captivated and fascinated by. But when he explains his process, it sounds like nonsense to me. Strong words. He's very brave to say that. Yeah. I mean, he took a stance. Other people have done the same thing. They've spoken out about this against this as well. In fact, I found an article that named 10 actors who have said things against method acting. They included Robert Pattinson, Sebastian Stan, Martin Freeman, Charlize Theron, and and again, there were several others. But some of the reasons that they gave were that actors will use method acting as an excuse for inappropriate behavior, Mm. that it can be narcissistic, that it can be very unhealthy because it can cause actors to take things to an emotionally or mentally unstable place. Mm And another point was that it can create tension on the set. Yeah. With people who become themselves when there's cut and then you're still not yourself when it's cut. You don't know how to treat the other person. Right. And then especially, you know. If you got to feed them. Right. If they're affecting you and your Mm -hmm. role or your Mm -hmm. job, maybe that could definitely cause some confusion or resentment. Who knows? Yeah. 
So that's my little part on method acting. What are your thoughts? I think it sounds fascinating. And I would not dare talk against Daniel Day-Lewis. He's one of the greatest <laughs> actors of our generation. But I do, when you're describing it, I'm sort of going fuzzy in my head and going, this sounds really hard and complicated and not like something I would do. Mm-hmm. It sounds way too hard for me. Now, apparently a lot of actors have studied this uh-huh. method. I uh-huh. mean, there was a huge list of people oh, yeah. who've either Paul trained Newman at did the... it. Marlon Brando mm-hmm. did it. It's... Al Pacino, Sally Field, Angelina Dustin Jolie. Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miles Teller. Oh, cool. Well, you know what? <laughs> they are all those people and we are Candy and Ashley. So what does it say <laughs> that we know? Not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. It did make me think about the Heath Ledger example. Yeah. You know, it made me take think it to about an extreme. how that could take you to a dark place that could be hard to come back from. I think it sounds like they all need a, like a person they can turn to that says, I don't know, almost like a handler that at the top of the role, that can be the person that says too far mm-hmm. and they have to listen to this person. It's like an agreed upon thing they make a pact and if I go too far with this then you have to be the one to bring me back I don't know that's just my suggestion Mm -hmm. well how about we take a break because when we come back we have a special surprise for our listeners okay hi friends if you love what we do and would like to show your support we have a new opportunity to share through a service called buy me a coffee you can donate a one-time gift of any amount or make an ongoing monthly donation of five dollars or more Your cup of support would help keep the tea brewing by offsetting our podcasting fees and allowing us to purchase new equipment. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod or find the information on our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or website. Thanks so much for your support and cheers to you. And we are back. So earlier, Ashley asked if I'd had a chance to take any classes or any courses related to acting. And I shared that one thing that I have been able to take advantage of is something offered by a local community theater where some courses on monologues were offered. Mm -hmm. And I have found them to be delightful. The way that they were handled was you were able to, to receive some individual coaching. And in this case, all of the courses were taught by Dr. Jack Wan. And so as I was learning to perform some monologues by Shakespeare or Strindberg or some contemporary monologues, in these situations, Dr. Wan met with me one-on-one. I got individual feedback and coaching and we had something called coaching conversations that you'll probably hear more about here in a minute. So Ashley and I thought it would be fun to share with you part of an interview that we conducted with Dr. Juan so that we could ask him about some of his methods and some of his insights as a person who has taught the dramatic arts for many years and also directed different plays. In fact, he directed me in Gaslight and Witness for the Prosecution. Just to give you a quick little overview of his background. Dr. Juan has taught theater at a high school in Indiana. He moved on to create a theater in southern Indiana that lasted for several years. Then he worked with John Jory at Actors Theater in Louisville, Kentucky before moving over and he established a theater program in Northern Kentucky University and also did the same then at Northwestern State University in Louisiana where they actually have a theater named in his honor, the Jack Juan Theater. Nice. He moved on to work for 10 years on the faculty of the prestigious American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City, and he continues to this day to work for NSU. Every year he goes and he teaches a course that results in a performance, and he also, as we've said, continues to teach some courses at this local community theater and also direct plays. That is a busy man. He is a very busy (laughs) man. So We're glad he took time out of his day to talk to us. Yes, so we're excited to share with you some insights from Dr. Jack. Juan. 
would you mind sharing with us a few memorable experiences or possibly even lessons that you have learned as a teacher? Well, <laughs> that, that's a tough one. Uh, you learn in every show. And when people ask me, what's my favorite show or experience, I always say my next one. Right. And, 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 and so uh, I think the thing that may be a little unique about my background and what I do is a kind of a mix of the right and left brain. I have a Ph.D. in dramatic theory and criticism, but all of my acting and directing, with some exceptions, has been professional. So I have that parallel of, of the academic and the professional and in the trenches. So I, I love the experiences I've had there. I would have to say that Jory at Actors Theater was one of my big influences. I have determined, I think, that uh, you can't teach theater, you can't teach acting, Shakespeare, those things, but they can be learned. So what you do is create an atmosphere in which the people around you can learn. And that's the job I take on. And I, I, I feel pretty good about where we've been able to go with that. Follow-up question. Uh, would you mind sharing something that you learned from John Jory? Yeah, one thing that we produced one of his shows. Uh, we did Pride and Prejudice, oh. John Jory's version of Pride and Prejudice at our theater. Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, John is a master man of the theater. And uh, I, I think the main thing I learned with him was making the rehearsal process, as you have heard from May Candy, a place to explore without penalty. In other words, keep it open to let things happen and not come in with a dyed-in-the-wool, set-in-concrete methodology. Know what you want, but be willing to open up to new ways to getting there. So have any of your students performed on Broadway and film or otherwise made a living out of the dramatic arts? And so any names that our listeners might recognize? Well, I don't know about names you would recognize, but I've had several dozen make it to Broadway. I've had a number in, in films uh, ranging from, oh my goodness, Spider-Man to uh, God only knows what. Uh, we've had as many as seven from NSU on Broadway at one time. Wow. Uh, and that was kind of exciting. They were in, I think, the Book of Mormon and uh, uh, La Caja Full and so on all at the same time. Uh, one young man uh, did the genie in Aladdin. Oh, very cool. uh, and uh, so uh, then from NKU, uh, Teresa Desarn, one of our gals from there, uh, went on to do a number of things on Broadway, but she was the Christine in Phantom of the Opera oh. that had the good fortune to play opposite all six of the Phantoms, from Colm Wilkinson to Crawford to the whole gang. Then Angie Schwar is currently on Broadway in Some Like It Hot. She was just recently in The Prom. Uh, she was uh, in uh, The Producers and a number of those shows. So we've had a pot full of them that have done done well. We've been lucky. You have personally taught all of those? Oh, yeah. They were my students. That's where they started. So I felt lucky there. Was there any of them that you could see that talent that would end up on Broadway, Was there, that you could have predicted it? I would like to think that I see that kind of talent in anybody that I enjoy working with and just, you know, I at least tell them, you know, work as if you have that kind of a dream. And uh, then a lot of them did decide to go on with it. That high school that I worked in, 29 equity actors came out of that high school program. I was only there for four years. That's a, and that's tw 29 people, plus an admiral in the Navy and uh, all kinds of other things that where they're constantly saying, 
every day I use what I learned in theater. The Admiral happens to be a woman. She is the highest ranking female officer in the Navy. And when I've talked to her recently, she said that once again. Everything I do every day, I learn things. I do things that I learned in theater. Can you share with us? Like, obviously, it's not the acting skills necessarily. What is something that you think these people learned in theater that they took with them into these careers that are very different than the dramatic arts? I think people tend to think of actors as being arty. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is that actors are the hardest workers that I know. So I think that sense of working hard in a situation where you're collaborating. Mm -hmm. A lot of people work hard, but they do it independently. Mm -hmm. Other artists, even painters, musicians. But in theater, you've got to not only be disciplined, but you've got to know how to work with other people. And those two things combined are a little hard to come by. And and going back to your earlier question, I think that's what you see in somebody that's going to make it, Mm -hmm. that they have that gift of being able to mix those two up. And the sense of collaboration. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, when you consider yourself as an actor, director, and playwright, what are a few key influences that helped make you who you are today? Believe it or not, at my doctorate level, it was not a theater professor, but the head of the department, a man named Waldo Braden, who was a world-class speech expert, particularly on the speeches of Abraham Lincoln. And in watching Dr. Braden's style in the classroom and the way he cared about his students and and just uh, his whole no-nonsense approach to what he did made me respect him so much. And I'd say probably as a director and as a teacher, I model myself after a non-theater person as much as anybody. But also at at LSU, Bill Harbin and Jory, I mentioned a while ago, all of those people. Every new play you do, as you guys both well know, is a new family. And so with each new family that you get, something memorable comes out of it, something you can use, something also that you say, I'll never do again, (laughs) uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So basically, uh, each new family, I'd say, would be the biggest influence. How lucky are we that we get to have a new family every few months? You know, it's it's a treat. And then you continue the families from before. It's just like creating a bigger family. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that whole idea of walking around in other people's shoes, mm-hmm. you know, you that's what we do for a while. And it makes you come together as a collaborative group in a way that no other art can, mm-hmm. not even a symphony orchestra. I think a good symphony conductor putting an orchestra together might be the closest parallel to get them to realize that, yes, they are individual instruments, but the whole is the important thing. Well, one thing that I have um, found to be unique to you, Jack, from, you know, speaking as someone who's had the the privilege of working with you several times, would be the character conferences. Um, Yeah, I'm interested in what this is. Okay. I love it. I think it's made a huge difference to me as an actress, and I I so appreciate that this is, this seems to be part of your process. As a director, it seems to be integral to what you do. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but but my question is, what inspired you to start holding character conferences? Can you kind of explain what they are to our listeners? And then what does a successful character conference look like to you? Ah, well, uh, logistically, I'd say I started doing it out of necessity. Uh, I was realizing that there wasn't time enough in a rehearsal without stealing from everybody else 
to talk to you about what I wanted to talk to you about, particularly about your subtext, or if it's a film, I think you call it backstory, sure. but, but what, whatever you're working on to get to where you are, because I'm a firm believer that you don't act words, you act feelings. Yeah. And, and if you don't know what your feelings are, then how in the world can you act them? Uh, so we've got to have a time to sit down and talk about your feelings. And the rehearsal is not the place to do that because everyone else has to sit around and watch you do it right. with one person at a time. So the character conference to me is extremely important and always has been. Thinking back, I can't remember when I first started it, maybe in the early 1600s or something like that. I'm not sure. <laughs> But but I, I, I can't remember not doing it in some form. I have kind of formalized it probably in the last 20 or 30 years, but, but I, I've always wanted to have time with my actor to, to see where they're coming from and where they're going. So what do you all do? Do you make meet outside of the outside of rehearsal period, or do you call on the phone, or well, what does it look like? Well, Candy can tell you. That we, we have little meetings, and uh, takes a lot of my time, yeah. and it does take additional time from the actors, but they seem to love it. That's the thing I've learned, is that discipline, working harder, doing more, is not something that you get resented for. They love you for it. Mm -hmm. They want to have a good product. Do you just do one? Oh, no. Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll give an example. My favorite play, I think, that I've ever done with you is Gaslight. Oh, yeah? Oh, and you directed that. That was great. Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, and I absolutely love that character. But when I first went into Bella's character as, you know, a woman of, of modern times, mm -hmm. she seemed a little weak to me. Mm -hmm. She seemed, she didn't seem like me at all. I was having trouble relating to her. And, and it was very early in the process. Jack had, and I had a character conference where... We started talking about what does she want, what does she need, what is it that's, that's motivating her in this scene, and Jack got me to realize she needs her husband to believe her, that she's not going mad, that she's telling the truth, that when she says she didn't take this or she didn't do this, she needs to be believed, mm -hmm. and that changed how I played her, how I understood her, the interactions with, I mean, so that's just one example, okay. but it takes, it takes it to a whole different level versus kind of looking at this, this script from this analytical distant mm -hmm. stance going, well, here's a character who thinks she's going mad. It helps to have a crazy lady playing the part too. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Oh yeah. Uh, also, you know, it's kind of neat to have things privately, secretly, that only you know that the other actors don't know. Because then when you're talking to one another, there's always that little edge mm -hmm. of reality of mm -hmm. why is she saying that? Or mm -hmm. what she knows, we talked about it in character conference, but the other actor doesn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it has to be secrets, but I think there are things that you as an actor can share with the director maybe, or maybe even not the director but things that you're using that are not going to necessarily be the business of everybody else around you. That's in real life, too. Oh, and we do it, we're doing it right now. I'm, I'm sitting here probably saying, am I pleasing them? And you're saying, oh, that old guy goes on forever, you know, what, but whatever the case is. I can tell you in my head, I hope this is technically working. I'm looking at the settings, I'm like, I hope this is okay. That's usually in my head. But to go back to uh, your earlier question, actually, typically they'll be, what, 30 to 45 minutes long? Oh, that's what I'm yeah, play. for the most part, yeah. In this particular play, I have a supporting role, so mm -hmm. we've only we've had two, but mm -hmm. if it were a lead role, it could be a lot more. 
And you would meet early at the theater? During the day, okay. on the weekend, whatever, whatever works out for them. Yeah, That's one of the advantages at this point of being retired is yeah. that I, I do have some flexibility in my schedule that would be very hard to do if I had a nine-to-five job. Right. Steven Spielberg has said, The delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. So I am wondering... Do you agree with that perspective? How do you see the role of a mentor? As a director of theater, one of my biggest jobs is to get out of your way. But I have to do what it takes to allow myself to get out of your way. So the director should disappear. If, if you go to a play and say, oh, that, that was really well directed, or that was beautiful scenery, I'm a little put off by that because right. I want the whole thing. Acting, you know, the scenery, the sound, everything should combine. Mm -hmm. So I think disappearing, learning how to do a disappearing act mm -hmm. and get out of the way of the actor. It's like the old uh, Michelangelo thing about the statue of David was already in the block of marble and all you had to do was cut away the extraneous marble. Yes. Well, that's, that's what you do with acting. Acting isn't putting on a role. It's taking things off in order to get at what's in you that parallels the work you're trying to do with the character. Mm -hmm. So you just get out, you, you try to lead and get out of the way. Candy's heard this a million times, but they say, what's your definition of a director? And I say, it's someone who moves others to move others. I pick up a play, I'm moved by it. I put on a play, I try to move the actor's to feel the way I felt to some extent and find out what they want to contribute to adding to that feeling. Then we all together share it with an audience and try to move them in some direction that we were moved. So you have a very long list of accomplishments and honors that you've been awarded across your career, but what are just one or two that stand out to you right now? I'll name a couple. Okay. Uh, getting my equity card. I was thrilled with that. Uh, spending a summer at Oxford and having my book put in the Bodleian Library, I was thrilled with that. Being named to the Hall of Fame and having a theater named after me at NSU was a biggie for me. I really enjoyed that. Professor Emeritus, you know, and, and the fact that I am now over 20 years retired from NSU, and they haven't caught on to me yet. They still bring <laughs> me back every spring and have me do shows and seem to look forward to it. So I've either got somebody fooled, they're either awfully nice, or something's going on that should be going on. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but those, I'd say those were the, the, the big things. Yeah, I, I, that would be the main thing, I would say. So something that's interesting, we've talked quite a bit about your impact and your work to try to, to move or to teach actors. But what about your work educating directors? You've taught several courses designed to help prepare directors to, to take on that role. What are some, I know you probably have a lot, what are a few of the most important or key pieces of advice you give to would-be directors? The most important thing, I think, you better doggone well know why you want to do it. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you just want to do a local community theater show and entertain the locals and so on, and that's enough for you, be honest about it and say, that's as far as I want to go and as deep as I want to get into it. But if you want to do something for society, if you want to ennoble and uplift your crowd, I know that sounds a bit hoity-toity, but, but it's in there. Mm -hmm. You do good theater well, and that happens. A, a number of the plays we've done... Uh, particularly in our upstairs theater where we can experiment more, have been 
tremendously uplifting. Necessary targets that we did about the women in Bosnia talking with that we just completed not long ago. These literally moved people in the audience to not only talk about it, but come back to it and refer to it again. And I think that's a part of it too. As a director, I think you've got to know what will make you happy because you don't know whether you're being successful or not if you don't know where you're going. Just doing another show that brought in a good crowd, you know, I, th that's no longer for me or for anybody that I would want to train. That's not enough. I have to know why I wanted to do it. Be honest about it and say, the world needs to be diverted. I want to do light, diverting, frothy things and just have fun. Right. And Lord only knows we need it. Yeah. But we also need Shakespeare and we need Ibsen and we need Shaw and we need political drama. Mm -hmm. Right now, almost everything that's going on to Broadway is about some form of minority or another. Right now, the new 1776 is going into the roundabout. Mm -hmm. All women. It's a female cast. All those characters in history, you know, Franklin, uh, Jefferson, John Adams, they're all being played by women. How do you feel about that? I, I love it. In fact, I submitted just the other day on my bucket list in New York at the Academy, I did an all-female production of Julius Caesar. Turned out to be one of my favorite productions ever. I want to do that here. I, I don't know whether it'll come into fruition or not, but those women were amazing. They would get up and go down to Central Park in the morning without my telling them or even suggesting it, and they did boot camp. They'd go down there and run and hoop, you know, and so on, because we just played it straight. You know, they weren't Amazons or anything. They were just the people who got the parts of the people in that play. So you may have already answered this question, but... Are there any other qualities or factors that you think distinguishes the average director from the really exceptional director? The same thing you tell actors, risk, be willing to take a risk, love what you're doing, certainly know the play better than your actors do, have read it. I, I swear I've been in productions where I don't think the director even read the play. It just makes you so sad. In fact, when people ask me, do you like to act or direct most? And I, I say direct, but that's because of quality control. It's so frustrating to be in a situation, know what you could do and not be able to do it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because you're better than someone else. You're wearing a different hat, but I've just chosen to wear the other hat because you have a little bit more control over it. Mm -hmm. Loving it, knowing the plays. So as someone who has been active in theater for more than 67 years... There you go. <laughs> what do you feel is the value or importance of theater within a community or society in general? If there's a dirty word to me in the world, it is exclusion. Mm -hmm. Excluding, I hated fraternities and sororities. I'm sorry if you were in some. I hate anything that is exclusive. We're better, we're bigger, we're, you know, whatever. I think inclusion is the best thing that right now the world could do. And we as people in theater should be working on the inclusiveness, not only in our shows and the casting, the type of material we do, but that, that theater is a world where paying no attention to gender or color and so on was happening way before it happened in the public schools. We need to continue to be the avant-garde and out there doing that because that's that's one of our jobs. All right, Jack. What else would you like to share with our listeners? What's something that we have not... Some parting asked? words. Yes. The one that I mention here more than anything else is that there is no difference between a professional theater and an amateur theater. The salary is quite different. <laughs> you know, we working for nothing. 
But that doesn't mean that one is any more or less professional than the other. And I think learning to be professional amateurs is the goal. You know, and and any less than that is selling yourself short and not doing something. Again, I want it to be fun, but the fun has to come from doing something as well as you can do it. Well, I'd go even further and say doing something that's worth doing as well as you can do it. Well, first of all, thank you to Dr. Juan for sitting down with us and doing that interview. I thought he said such interesting things. Yes, very fascinating. Yeah. What was something that stood out to you, Ashley? One of the things that I liked is how he talked about the theater becoming a family. And I feel that way too. I feel like every cast is like a little a family and then you just add to the family with each mm-hmm. new cast. It's yeah. sort of like the new adventure can't begin until the old adventure comes to a close. Yeah. But I don't ever think of it as an ending. It's just an adding on. It's a good way to look at it. I agree. Yeah. One of the things that struck me was the respect for the actor, Mm -hmm. you know, really trying to allow the actor to find the character and the motivations and where they're coming from rather than, you know, some directors want to tell or show a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, but I I see, I see Jack as kind of a coach. Yeah. I like that. He's like a coach. So that was something that, that really stood out to me. Armchair psychologist. Well, for our armchair, I'm going to turn the tables. I have a question for you. Earlier, you talked about the method acting style. What is your method? When you take on a new character, how do you formulate how you're going to play them? Do you have a acting style that you ascribe to or do you just kind of create it organically? Well, that's a very interesting question. I don't have a systematic approach, you know, something that I do step by step, but I think I definitely have patterns. Mm -hmm. So for example, one thing that I always like to do is I do believe in in trying to figure out my character, Mm -hmm. you know, what is it that this person needs or wants in every scene? Like what is the subtext? I'll give one example. I was doing a monologue from King John. It's the constant scene where she's trying to convince people that she's not mad and she's Mm -hmm. telling them about, you know, her grief and how that's influenced her. And originally I was just, you know, kind of the superficial level of, I'm just going to defend myself. I'm just going to like try to convince you that I'm not crazy. Right. And why? Right. And then you start to go, okay, like, does she really fully believe she's not crazy? Yeah. Or does she have any doubts about her own sanity? What does she think they believe? Like, is she really trying to convince them because in an angry way? Is her life at risk? Like, is, you know, is is she desperate to convince them? Like, all of these nuances. You ask a lot of questions of yourself. I do. Okay. I do. Interesting. And I think that that's something that really helps me to to bring my character to life. And then, of course, you know, they're all, they're constantly growing and changing because the interactions with the other characters mean so much. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not just communicating with an audience. You are constantly communicating with each other mm-hmm. on stage and not just what's written on that page, like what's literally happening in that moment. Do you ever go through the script and see what other characters say about your character to kind of figure out who you're supposed to be? I definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, because their perspectives don't have to be Right. Right. But if this is what they think, why do they think that? Right. Yes. So I don't know that that answered your full question, but I think that's one piece. That's one piece of what I do. I'm interested in that. I'm always interested in the methods that people use to create a character because I've looked into the method acting. I've looked into all the acting styles there are, and I don't think that mine necessarily matches. It kind of is combinations of all of different forms, but also something different that I don't know what to call it. (laughs) It's almost like an empathy method. 
method. Okay. Because for me, I never forget that I am Ashley. Mm. I never forget that. Right. I'm also self-directing myself on stage. Mm. So if you and I, okay, let me use it. Uh, we'll use a real life example. You know, you played Mrs. Keller in The Miracle Worker mm-hmm. and I got to play Annie Sullivan in The Miracle Worker. And I never forgot that I was not Annie Sullivan. I never thought that I was Annie Sullivan. What I did want to do was feel the way that Annie felt in these situations. So I would try to figure out how do I think that she feels here? Mm -hmm. And what is her relationship with these people? So when you and I and Brian as Captain Keller would have a scene together, the one scene where Annie is telling the Kellers what her life was like, Mm -hmm. I would have in my head, okay, I know that this is Candy and Brian and Ashley. And I never forgot that. I never got lost in the character enough to do that. But I was also very specific on here is where I'm going to take my glasses off because I'm going to make this point through taking my glasses off. Here is where she's going to get emotional. And then I wouldn't just turn it on like a psychopath, but he would put yourself in her situation. I would think about, here's the situation that she was in. She was in this almshouse where people were abusing her and that would trigger my empathy response, which Mm -hmm. would would give me the ability to be able to hopefully authentically portray her pain in that situation. Right. That's interesting. I love that you use the term self-directing because I think that's exactly what you're doing. You're, Mm -hmm. You're visualizing the way you you want it to play and then you're trying to create that sure and if and i'm not saying just me in charge of my own character any notes that the director gives me i would put it in the script yeah and say okay they want me to portray this emotion here how can i get there how can i build Mm -hmm. to it in another situation i played shelby in steel magnolias and i knew that she had to have a seizure so having a sister who has diabetes i knew what that seizure looked like so i had to pre-plan when she started having effects Mm -hmm. so she has the symptoms before the full-fledged seizure takes place and it was way before it talks about her having having to do it and say okay here is where my hand's going to start twitching here on this line this is where she's going to have the sweats here's where Mm -hmm. she's going to start to get snippy because when your blood sugar drops you start to get snippy with people so just things like that just thinking ahead and planning and more in a feeling action and feeling yeah I think you've brought to mind another point those people who are actors I'm sure are totally relating with this but it but if if you've not tried acting, I think it's way more work than it looks. Yes. Because when you use that term, you know, the planning and the thinking. Yes. In Witness for the Prosecution, I played the character Mayhew, and I had long scenes where I didn't speak. But one of the things that actually it was Dr. Jack Wan said was, and he'd heard it from somebody else, but you have lines, you just don't get to say yeah. them. Yeah. And so the whole time you're sitting there, you're not tuned out. Eyeball acting. You are constantly thinking thinking, what is her feelings about this? Mm-hmm. What is her reaction to this? Mm-hmm. How is she going to show this emotion when that person gives that testimony or when this event happens? Like you are on the whole constantly, time. like your brain is in your, you know, you're acting even when you're not speaking. You're reacting. Yes. Yeah. You're yes. reacting to the environment around you, which is usually like 90% of acting is reacting to what's mm-hmm. happening around you. You can snap your head up and people go, oh, you know, what does yeah. she think there? Absolutely. Fascinating stuff. Well, I think for this, we of course need to cheers Dr. Wan. That's right. Let's cheers Dr. Wan. Thank you for a fascinating conversation and cheers to you, sir. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, 
It would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.